Okay, we are in John chapter number 9 this morning. John chapter number 9 is where we'll be at, and I will attempt to preach quick if you can listen quick. I said attempt. See, I've got to always hedge that a little bit, so if you all say that wasn't quick, I said I was attempting, attempting. Okay, so anyway, we're going to be in John chapter number 9, and what we've been doing, we are continuing our series refocus. We are wanting to get a more clear view of Jesus through Scripture. The passage that we're going to be in today uh, is even that much more, um, uh, I don't know if it's ironic or it just really fits in well with the theme, because we're going to be looking at a blind man today, and he's really going to get a more clear view of who Jesus is. But anyway, what we are looking at uh, in the past weeks, we've been seeing Jesus in Jerusalem around the time of the Feast of the Tabernacles. Uh, he is in his final six months of ministry, and it is during this time that he is kind of taking a turn. All along, he's been ministering throughout the regions of Galilee. He's been uh, keeping a little bit of distance from Jerusalem and from the religious leaders, and over and over, he has been saying, my time is not yet. He's been operating according to God's timetable, and he is uh, careful, I guess we could say, about provoking the religious leaders because he knows eventually they are going to crucify him. He knows, uh, he says in one place, or actually he doesn't say, but he's a lamb that was crucified from the foundation of the world, okay? This isn't something new to him. He knew that he came to die. And so he is carefully uh, working out God's will and God's plan in his life, and he is headed toward the cross. That's what he's doing. And so as we get in this final six months, he is having more run-ins with the religious leaders. He's having more times where he offends them, more times where they butt heads, if you will. And there's already been times where they have attempted to take him, to stone him, to kill him, and he has avoided out of their presence. And so today what we're going to be looking at is uh, another time that offends the religious leaders. I do want to just look back for a moment at what we saw last week. And last week, we looked at the statement that Jesus made, and he says, I am the light of the world. This is one of his many I am statements, and we know that connects with what um, God told Moses whenever he stood at the burning bush. Moses says, who do I tell the Israelites that, uh, who do I tell them sent me? And God responds out of the burning bush, tell them I am sent you. It's one of the names of God. And so this is a claim that Jesus has in deity as he is saying, I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the water. I am the bread of life. All of these different I am statements is claims that he has of deity. But what we saw last week as he said he was the light of the world, he was connecting with that light that led the people of Israel through the wilderness. He was showing how he was the means of guidance for God's people, that we need to look to him to show the way that we ought to go. He has a will, he has a way, he has a plan for us, and he leads us, he guides us. He's going to keep us away from dangers. Many of the things that we're reading about in scripture shows us things that we are to avoid, just like the light that shone in the camp of the, the Israelites kept them away from dangers that were present there. But it also keeps away uh, the enemy. Whenever we are staying close to Christ, whenever we are walking in the light, there are going to be many enemies that just don't come near. There's going to be things that you don't deal with just because you're walking with him. And also, as we're walking with him, we have assurance of God's presence, of his forgiveness, of his love, that we walk in him, that we are his and he is ours. We also said that we are to reflect his light, and we do that whenever we love him and we obey him. We do that whenever we love the brethren and encourage them, and we also do that when we love the lost and witness to them. Yeah. So we are reflecting his light into this world. Uh, he refers to us as being a candle, as a city that is set up on a hill that can't be hid. We also saw last week that the light is rejected because some people are spiritually blind. They don't know. There are some people who like the dark. They don't care. And so people reflect, or excuse me, they reject the light because they don't know or they don't care. And then the last thing that we looked at last week is that one day the light will reign. Christ will reign in heaven. There will be no suffering, no sin, no darkness, and we will be able to rejoice in his presence forevermore. We look forward to that day. And so this week what we're going to be doing is, as I said already, we'll be looking at this blind man. 
we're going to see this man who was born blind and is an example to the people that are around him of how God truly does bring light into the world, how he's going to make a man to see that has never seen before. And uh, as he does this, it is going to greatly annoy the religious leaders because there is nothing that they can say against it, even though they try. So let's look in John chapter number nine. And I, I won't read the whole chapter because I don't want you to fall asleep and fall out the window. But John chapter number nine, I'll read the first 12 verses and get us a, a, a good start into this, into this story. Uh, verse number one, it says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent, he went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him uh, that was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes open? He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes, and said unto me, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, and and go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, and I received sight. Then said they unto him, Where is he? He said, I know not. And they brought, I said 12, we'll go and read 13. They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you once again for your blessings. We thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, your people that are here. And we just pray, Lord, ask you that you would meet with us today. I pray that you would uh, do a work in our hearts and lives, that your spirit would touch us and, and apply your scripture. I just pray that you would guide and direct us, Lord, as we as I attempt to, to, to teach your word, to preach your word. And I just pray that it would be profitable, that it would be a help to those who are here. Just give me clarity of mind and clarity of thought and help me to recall the things we've studied. And Lord, I just pray if there's one here today that don't know you as their Savior, that today would be the day that they would call upon you and put their faith and trust in you as their Savior before it's everlasting too late. We do love you and we praise you. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. And amen. So I want to stop here, as I said, just for the sake of time. I'm not going to read the rest of the chapter, but I want to give us a bit of an overview of what's going on here. As they are leaving this event where he Jesus had a run-in with the the Pharisees already, they tried to kill him. As they are walking, they come across this man who was born blind, and the disciples ask a question. They raise this question to Jesus, and they said, who did the sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? It gives us an idea of where they were mentally. They said, this, the problem that is in his life is due to someone's sin, but whose is it? Because he had the problem before he ever had a chance to sin. They had the same idea as Job's friends had. Remember whenever Job was going through all of his calamities and uh, all of his friends came and said, it's because you have sinned that this thing has come into your life. And Jesus says, neither did this man sin nor his family, but instead this is to uh, glorify me, to make, uh, to reveal God in me, basically, is what's going on. And so he's saying that God can do a work even through bad circumstances. I will say that all sin, or excuse me, all suffering, all sickness, all those things are a result of living in a sin-cursed world, okay? But it doesn't mean just because uh, someone has an accident, someone uh, has an illness or something, it doesn't mean that they're wicked and sinful, okay? So that's just a bit of a side note. So anyway, Jesus says, I'm going to do these works while I'm here. I'm going to be the light while I am here. And so he bends down, he spits on the ground, he makes mud, basically, smears it on the man's face, and tells him to go and wash, in a specific place, the man goes and washes, and he receives his sight. And through all of this, Jesus moves on to the next place. He's not gathering a crowd. He's not getting spectators. He's not making a big fuss or a big deal over this. He just goes about his business, 
and this man comes seeing. And the people who knew him before time said, isn't this the guy that begged? Isn't this the guy that couldn't see? And some said, well, he looks like him. He must be a twin. He must be a lookalike. And the man says, I am he. It was me. I was the one that couldn't see. I was the one that was begging. And they said, how did this happen? And this man had a very small knowledge. He didn't know much. He had a very brief encounter with Jesus. And he says, all I know is a man named Jesus made mud, put it on my eyes, told me to wash. I did it. Now I see. And their response to what he said is we've got to take this to the Pharisees. We've got to take this to the religious leaders and see what they have to say about it. And so they begin to question him. This man, it should be a celebration. It should be one of the happiest days of his life, right? And now he's standing before the religious leaders getting grilled about what has just happened because the religious leaders hate Jesus and they do not want anyone to glorify him. They don't want any of the miracles to stick. They don't want there to be any kind of credibility. And so they are trying to poke holes in this man's experience. And whenever this man says, I don't know much about Jesus, but I know I was born blind and he healed me. And they said, well, you're not giving us any ammunition against Jesus. You get out of here. And they call his parents in. Okay. Because this is the reason they're calling the parents in is they said, maybe because he doesn't remember his birth. No one remembers when they were born or whenever they were a little child. Your earliest memories may have been whenever you're like four or five years old, right? And so maybe he wasn't born blind. Maybe after he was born, he went blind. And you say, well, why does it matter? It's still a miracle. Here's the thing. If someone once had sight, lost it, it's not as big of a leap for them to regain it. But if someone never saw in the beginning, if they were born and never had the ability, they never had vision from the very beginning, the Jews believed that only God could fix that. This is what they're trying to do. They're saying if we get his parents in here and they say, oh, well, I think he could see a little bit whenever he was born or no, he went blind a little bit later. He may not remember it. Then they're saying, oh, okay, it's not as big of a miracle. They're downplaying what God has done. They're saying, oh, other people have received their sight. Other people have regained sight. Uh, there's been prophets as brought, but only God could restore sight to one who was born blind. And so by their own tradition, by their own teachings, what has just happened is something only God can do. And Jesus just did that. And so by their beliefs, by their traditions, by their teachings, they would have to accept Jesus as being God or change their beliefs. Do you see why this is so provocative to them and why this is so offensive to them? Because Jesus just did something they said only God can do. And they were right. Okay? But they didn't like being right in this case. And so they're trying to poke holes in it. And so they grill the parents and they say, is this your son whom you say was born blind? And they say, we know he was born blind. We have no idea how he now sees, but he is of age. Ask him. And it says this they said because they feared lest they be put out of the synagogue. They'd already decided ahead of time, if anyone claims that Jesus is God or that Jesus is the Messiah, that they are going to be, uh, they are going to be banished from the synagogue. They're going to be put out of the synagogue. And what that meant, we talked about this a little bit in Sunday school, what that meant to them was they would no longer be able to take part in Jewish society. It means that they couldn't go to the temple and worship, that they couldn't offer up offerings for their sins, that they couldn't be employed by a Jewish employer. They couldn't be working for anyone. They couldn't associate with their family. They were shunned. They were put out of society. And anyone who would associate with them, anyone who would uh, entertain them under their roof, anyone who would give them work, anyone that would help them would be in danger of receiving the same treatment. And this is how the the cartel, if you will, the, the Jewish religious system kept people in check. That if you didn't do what they said, they would make your life miserable. Okay? And so this man's parents said, we are going to kind of play it safe. We're going to do the political correct answer here and say, we know it's our son. We know he is born blind, but we're not going any further than that. You talk to him about it. They threw him under the bus. Okay. And so now they bring him back in again. And they said, okay, we adjure you. What, what is it? It said, um, 
Give God the praise, verse number 24. We know that this man is a sinner. They are asking him this idea, give God the praise. That's them saying, speak the truth. They're basically putting him under an oath here. They're saying, tell the truth. They're calling him a liar. They're trying to discredit his witness. They're trying to discredit what he has said. And they said, give God the glory. This man is a sinner. And the man's answer was, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I do know that whereas I was blind, now I see. They didn't like his answer. And so whenever they continued to press him, he actually started to reason and work things out and bring out scriptures, and he began to instruct the teachers. I don't know about whenever you guys were in school. Did you ever correct the teacher? You ever find a mistake that they had made and then you correct them? They don't take that well, especially not whenever you are these guys. And so these guys get mad and they put him out of the synagogue. They make him a social pariah is what they do. And essentially in one day, he went from being a beggar and an outcast to being a fully functional member of society to being a beggar and an outcast again. The only difference is now he wasn't physically disabled. Okay, so this is a horrible day for this man and a great day for this man, all wrapped into one. And I'm just kind of going through this and painting this out so we can see what's going on. So he's put out of the tabernacle, or put out of the temple, out of the synagogue. He's going about trying to figure out what his next steps is. He's probably still amazed by all of the things that he's seeing. He's seeing people for the first time. He's seeing faces for the first time. He's seeing trees and clouds and buildings. All this for the first time. It should have been a fantastic day for him, but it was a traumatic day because now he's saying, okay, I'm put out of the synagogue. I am alienated from my family. I'm alienated from my friends. I'm alienated from my religion, everything. All that I just got back, most of it's going again. And so he's debating, do I go home because my parents have already proved they're afraid of getting put out of the synagogue? And if I go to them, will they accept me? And as he's going about, he comes into Jesus and Jesus speaks to him. He recognizes the voice. Remember, he's never seen Jesus' face. Whenever Jesus healed him, he healed him at a distance. He said, go and wash. And then he was able to see. So he hears Jesus' voice. And Jesus asked him, do you believe on the Son of God? And he says, I want to. Where is he? Show me. And he says, he's standing right before you. It's me. He says, I believe. He falls down. He worships. Beautiful story, right? And so it's highs, it's lows, it's all kinds of things going on here. But this man's day has been chaos. That's safe to say, isn't it? And so as we look at this story, I want us to kind of go through step by step. And this is the manner I normally do things, I guess. I want to go through step by step because I think there is a lot that we can learn by looking at this through the eyes of this blind man. Okay? And I want it to be maybe a help, an encouragement, a reminder to us because I think we relate on many levels to this blind man, okay? And so the, the, the first thing that I want to bring out of this, I want to point out, as I'm just looking through the story, is I want to look at how Jesus found him, the condition he was when he first met Jesus. Uh, he was a man who was born blind. We've covered a little bit about what that means, but this man would have never been able to take care of himself. He never would have been able to hold down a job. He never would have been able... He was a beggar from the very beginning. He's never seen anything. And so with his condition, he didn't, I guess he didn't do anything to make himself that way. Jesus made that clear, right? But as he was born, he was broken. He was in darkness. He could not find his way. There was no hope because they said, no one can heal you. There's no way that this is ever going to change in your life. There is no hope for you. You're going to spend your life in darkness. You're going to never see, and if God doesn't work a miracle in your life, you are going to die in your darkness and go into eternity into darkness. That was all he had to look forward to, right? And so he was continued, continuing in that darkness. He had no hope. And another thing about it is he didn't know anything differently. Now, it would be a horrible life, I believe, to go through this life blind. Could you imagine never laying eyes on your loved ones, never being able to see a smiling face, never being able to observe the beauty of God's creation and stuff? That would be horrible, wouldn't it? I think it would be a little bit worse if you had a chance to see it and no longer could. Can you imagine losing your sight later on? 
But here's the thing with this man. He's never had his sight. He doesn't know what he's missing. He doesn't realize how far he comes short. He doesn't realize how gravely his condition affects him. But something that he does know is that there is something wrong. He knows that there is something wrong. He knows this isn't the way that he is meant to be. This isn't the way that most people were. He knew that other people were able to see. He knew that other people uh, didn't have the limitations that he has. And so through all of this, this blindness affected every aspect of his life. And the reason I bring all these things out is for us, we start out this life, we start out being spiritually blind. Where Jesus finds us, we are blind and just as hopeless as what this man is. We are born in our darkness. We are born in sin. The Bible tells us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us that we are all as an unclean thing, that all of our righteousnesses are as a filthy rag. Right? And so we come into this earth condemned and bound in our sin. Ever since the fall in the garden, ever since Adam and Eve, all men have been born sinners. We are blind. We are hopeless. We are helpless. We are in a condition that we are going to continue in. There is no hope of us overcoming it. We can't heal it by our own abilities. We can't overcome it through religion. We can't overcome it by our good deeds. We can't overcome it by anything else. We are in a condition that we have no hope of being able to overcome. We are in darkness. We are blind. But also, it's the only condition that we have ever known. We don't understand the extent of our condition. We don't understand what it means to be lost, to be broken, to be blind, to be alienated and separated from God because this is all we've ever known. We continue onward, but we do know that there is something wrong. This is Christians and lost people alike. Everyone that's ever entered into this world, everyone that's ever lived on this earth, knows that we are not what we were meant to be. Even the fact that death is such an important thing to us lets us know that it wasn't a normal part of God's creation. Uh, evolution tells us that we're just going through and this is all natural. If evolution was true, death would just be another step. It would just be something else, a part of life, and it wouldn't be something so uh, something so offensive to us as human beings. We know it's not natural. We know it's not re- it's not something that we uh, should be going through, and we're doing everything we can to try to avoid it. Right? We know that there is something wrong. We know that there is a problem, but we don't know of any way. To fix it. And that is where Jesus finds each and every one of us. And you say, well, this is all basic. This is all simple. This is things that we've always known. I believe we need to be constantly put in remembrance of these things. Because here's the problem for us as Christians. After we've been saved for a little while, after we've been walking with God a little while, we forget where he found us at. We forget how lost and how undone we are were without him, how hopeless our situation was, And in our pride and in our arrogance, we think we're doing okay, when in reality, we were just as in darkness, just as hopeless as what this beggar was, just as darkness as what this blind man was when Jesus found us. Never lose sight of where he found you at. Never forget that you were a sinner lost and dying on your way to hell. And we might say, well, we're not that bad. We've never done anything that bad. I can remember as a 12-year-old boy, I was saved whenever I was 12, But even at that time, I wasn't a murderer, I wasn't a drunkard, I wasn't an adulterer, I wasn't any of these things, but I was still a sinner, I was still lost, I was still hopeless, I was still in darkness, and without God working a miracle in my life, I would never see glory, I would never see heaven. If not for him, I would have no hope, just like this blind man. So it doesn't matter where he finds you at. You don't have to be of the worst of sinners. You don't have to be uh, down in the prison. You don't have to be in the gutter. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that's where he finds each and every one of us at. And we can never forget that because it's not by our righteousness. It's not by our goodness, but it's by his mercy that we are forgiven and that we are saved. And so how Jesus found him, next thing we find is how Jesus fixed him. How Jesus fixed him. The first thing that stands out to me as Jesus is performing this miracle on this man is that Jesus came to him. He came to where he was. Jesus initiated this thing. 
And what I mean by this is that salvation is all God's plan. It's God's doing from beginning to end. It is God that came up with it. It is God that orchestrates it. It's God that makes it happen. It is of God and not of us. And as we go through this, I'm not saying that uh, we have no choice in the matter. I'm not saying Calvinism, by the way, if you're wondering. But what I am saying is that God is the one that formulated the plan of salvation. He is the one that said, I'm going to go down. I'm going to die on their behalf. He is the one that even says that no man can come to the Father unless the Holy Spirit draws him. It is the Holy Spirit that does the work of drawing the person to Christ. All of it is initiated and carried out by God. All we do is respond in faith. Okay? And so he initiated it. Another thing that I find in this is that each person has a unique story. You realize this is the only time that Jesus performs a miracle by making clay smearing on a person's face and telling them to go wash. As you start going through the Gospels, or even if you go through Acts with Peter and with John and or Peter and John and uh, Paul, you find that each miracle is different. Each time that someone comes to Christ is different. Each story is different. You might have one that Jesus uh, says, "I will be thou whole," and he's whole. He may lay his hand on the, the leper. He may uh, speak the word and the, the boy that is dying at the distance is healed. There's all these different ways that Jesus has healed people and each story is different. And the way that relates to us is that we all have our own unique testimonies. We have different ways that God has dealt with us in our lives. We have different ways that we have come to the place where we realize that we are sinners, that we are blind and hopeless and helpless, and that we need him. And each person has a different story. It's always that we are saved by grace through faith, but how we get to that place where we meet Jesus and how he works that work in our lives is going to be different. And I love hearing people's testimonies. I love hearing the stories about how God has worked in people's lives to draw them to the place where they realize that they need a Savior, whether they were five or they were 50, that God works in their life to bring them to himself. Each has their unique story, and their story is powerful. That's something else that I'm, I, maybe we'll bring out this here in just a minute. But as this man is going about, he's telling his story to everyone. He's going about, and they're saying, what's the difference? What's, what brought this change? He said, I met Jesus. He told me to do this. I did it, and now I see. He's going about telling his story to everyone, right? Mm -hmm. Another thing about this is that the Lord's way of fixing this man seemed foolish or seemed offensive. Because think about this. If someone spits on the ground, makes mud, wipes it on your face, what are you going to do? Anyone going to like that? <laughs> Some of the men in here are probably going to fight. Because that's offensive. And even more so in Jewish culture, to spit on someone was a major offense. And so Jesus is taking mud and spit and he's wiping it on this guy's face and the man's like i've been blind my entire life i'm begging i can't even see you and you come and wipe mud on my face what kind of what kind of joke is this right it is offensive and it's not just offensive to the man it's offensive to the religious system there because we find out in just a minute he did it on the sabbath day and so all of the religious leaders are looking at Jesus and saying, he is, uh, he is violating the Sabbath. He is working on the Sabbath day. So the religious are offended. The flesh would be offended by being spit upon. And Jesus is just going about this like it's normal, like it's just the way that things are, right? Let me tell you this. God's plan of salvation is offensive to the lost man. Y'all realize that? Think about it. Jesus came and he was beaten and battered and bloodied and murdered and placed in a tomb. That is offensive. Isn't it? People mock and they make fun of Christianity and of the offense of the cross. The Bible says that to them that perish, the preaching of the cross is foolishness. But to those of us who are saved, it is the power of God and eternal life. It is foolishness. It is offensive to this world. God's plan of salvation, the way that he uh, put together to fix what man has broken. 
is offensive. If man had it their way, it would be based upon our merits. It would be based upon our works. We would say, okay, God, give me a list. Give me something to accomplish. Give me steps to go through. Give me so many sacraments to keep, right? Give me do's and don'ts. Help me, let me keep the law. Let me keep the commandments. And that's what religion, that's what mankind tries to do because that's not offensive to man. But whenever God comes to man and says, there is nothing that you can do, your most righteous acts, your very best works are as filthy rags. You have no hope. There is nothing that you can do. It is all on me or it is nothing. Man says, I don't like that. I don't want that. I want to go about and establish my own righteousness. I want to go about and make my own self feel as if I am good, as if I am holy. God even says in Ephesians uh, he t- 2, verses 8 and 9, says, By grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We quote that verse oftentimes, but he says, if I let you have anything to do with it, if it was based on your works, on your abilities, on your religious adherence, on anything else, you would become so proud and so arrogant and make it all about you. You would be bragging and you would be boasting. So I have to make sure that none of it has to do with you, that I've done it all. And man says that's offensive. It makes more sense to man to go through religious rituals, to go and have their their uh, shiny temples and and cathedrals and all of these things and go through religious rituals and somehow they think that makes them holy and that makes them good whenever Jesus says it takes a cross, it takes nails, it takes beating, it takes blood, it takes suffering. That is the only way for a man to be cleansed to be made right with God, to be born again into God's family. It's either the cross or nothing. And man says, I don't like that. Right? Mm -hmm. And so Jesus' solution, his fix for this man, it was offensive. It was foolish. Man would would choose a completely different way. But if this blind man would have done anything else, If he would have said, I don't want to go wash in the pool of Siloam, I'm going to go and uh, wash in this well, or I'm going to borrow water off this person. I'm going to get this mud and this spit off my face as quickly as I can. If he would have done anything else, he wouldn't have seen, right? And either you come by way of the cross, or you don't come at all. Either you come, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Unless you come through Jesus... You don't come at all, and the world finds it offensive. The last thing that I find about the way that Jesus fixed him is that it required faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so as Jesus told this man, if you will go and wash in this pool, you'll receive your sight. The man believed him because he went and washed in the pool. That's what it tells us, right? If he didn't believe, would he have went? See, our belief determines our actions. Our belief demonstrates our actions. Because you believe, your life reflects it, your heart reflects it, your attitudes reflect it. Okay? We are not saved by our actions. We are not saved by the things that we do. But whenever we get saved, what we believe is going to have a bearing on what we do. And so this man believed Jesus, and he went and washed and he received his sight. It required faith. And so for all of us, he finds us lost and undone and without hope. He offers up a solution that is offensive to our flesh, is uh, offensive to our religious sensibilities, but it makes perfect sense to God, and we have to accept it by faith. He says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I said, but God, I wanted a different way. He said, it's that way or no way, and I say, okay, I'll take your way, and I accept it by faith. And so what we've seen in this in this story so far, where Jesus found him, how Jesus fixed him, and now we see that all men forsake him. We see all men forsake him. This is the, the sad truth about the matter, that something fantastic happened to this man, and as I've said already, he should be celebrating, he should be taking in all the sights, 
but instead he's being scrutinized, he's being grilled, he's being hammered about what has went on in his life, and they are making every attempt they can to cause him to doubt, to cause him to recant, to cause him to turn away from the God that saved him. Right? And so we've already kind of looked at this and the, they're asking and they're, they're questioning him and all that they have done to him and even turning his parents against him. Religion forsook him. His parents forsook him. They threw him under the bus, remember? Yes. But Jesus didn't forsake him. And so in our lives, we've got to realize that Christianity is not going to be popular. We have to make a decision if we are going to serve God or we're going to be accepted by the world. And whenever we walk with him, whenever we choose to believe him, whenever we choose to follow him, there's going to be a lot of people that are not going to be happy about that. We look into academia and all of the, the schools and scholarship and all these things, they mock and they ridicule Christianity. They want us to believe that Christianity is a hoax, that it is fake, that it's mere superstition. They try to cast all kinds of doubts in, in Christ and in all the things that we have believed. They try to, uh, to undermine the scripture. They try to undermine everything that we believe and cause us to doubt. Even religion is going to attack you whenever, uh, for those who were brought up in false religion and in cults and things like that, whenever you accept Christ, they are going to cast you out. And even your family is going to disbelieve and disown you whenever you decide to follow Christ. This is part of what happens and has happened throughout Christianity. And you may not have faced some of these things, and praise the Lord for it if you haven't, but it does happen. I'll say just for me to be here today, just for me to be here in Ireland, there's a lot of my family is not happy about it. Some of the most, some of the greatest opposition that I've had to following God and to serving God has been from my own family. Even the saved ones. Because they don't want me here, they want me there. Y'all realize that? Y'all ever go through that yourselves? And that's the truth of the matter is there's going to be lots of people that are going to forsake you. A lot of people that are going to cast your name out as something wicked and something wrong just because you are serving the Lord, just because you are following Him, because you have put your faith and trust in Him. And that is the reality of the world that we live in. If you go about to live as a Christian, if you seek to serve Him and to live for Him in this life, you are going to be seen as an evildoer. You are going to be seen as someone wicked. Society is going to call you all sorts of names. They're going to call you a Bible thumper. They're going to call you deceived. They're going to call you indoctrinated. They're going to call you a bigot. They're going to call you hateful and uh, all these other names that they like throwing out to try to deter you from serving God. And I think it's just at the beginning, really, because in the place that we're in today, we have a lot of freedom. I even uh, said at the beginning of Sunday school, I'm glad that we have the freedom to come out to church. We don't have to worry about someone coming in and, and arresting us or shutting us down for being in church, but we're not guaranteed that that won't happen. There's plenty of places around this world where Christianity is under attack. There's plenty of places around this world that carrying a Bible or preaching his word or sharing your faith could get you arrested, could get you killed, and that is expanding. If you check out the news that we have uh, on a day-to-day -day basis of the things that are happening in Russia and Ukraine, as the things that are happening in Palestine and the Middle East, and even in further parts, it's not even getting reported on Kevin I was talking about earlier. All of these things are showing us that people are getting more and more hostile toward the things of God. That may not be the case in Russia and Ukraine. That might be a different story. But it also shows that there's wars, there's rumors of wars, there's all kinds of things that's going on that is preparing us for the last days. I'm not a date setter. I'm not saying that the Lord's coming back tomorrow, next week, or next year. But I am saying that there is a lot of things that are going on that's going to be bringing about more difficulty for us to live for God, because this world does not like God. Satan does not like God, and as a result, they don't like the people who align themselves with him. And so this man had many people that forsook him. He was an outcast of society. He was put out of the religion. He was uh, 
disowned by family and friends, no doubt. All of these things were going on in his life. And so you're going to have people who will reject you. You're going to have people who are going to discourage you or mock you. You're going to see all throughout television, entertainment, online, everywhere you go, Christianity is mocked and is ridiculed. And people will discourage you. But throughout all of this, and I'm glad that Les chose the song that she did there, uh, I have decided to follow Jesus. Right? Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. See, the man that wrote that, if you look in the, the hymn book at the bottom of the page, it says it's a, attributed to an Indian prince. You ever see that down there at the bottom of the songbook? And the story that goes with that is that this man was an Indian prince that got saved. Of course, we know that in India, it's not a Christian nation. And he was an Indian prince. He heard the gospel. He got saved, and he was rejected by his family. He was disinherited from his throne, and he was outcast from society, and he lived the rest of his life in poverty. So from the, from the palace to poverty, that's what his story was. And people ask him, do you not regret following Jesus? Do you not regret losing all of that? And he wrote that song, that poem, as a response. Though no one join me, still I will follow. No turning back. He says, I have no regrets. This man knew what it was like to be rejected by religion, to be rejected by family, to be rejected by society because he was accepted by Christ. And I think the key to all that is that he remembered where Jesus found him. He remembered the price that Jesus paid to fix him, right? And so it didn't matter what everyone else did to him. It didn't matter how he was rejected, ridiculed, or refused. He still was going to follow Jesus. We find many different passages in Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. Paul said at my first answer, no man stood with me, yet Jesus stood with me. Nevertheless, Jesus stood with me. Right? What I'm trying to get across to us as Christians today is that it is tempting for us to try to do the accepted thing within society, to try to straddle the fence, to try to live in both worlds and try to please the world and to please God and to be lukewarm in our Christianity. It is tempting for us to not take a stand. It is tempting for us, because think about it for a minute. If this man would have stood before these religious leaders and denounced Christ, if he would have stood before them and said, well, I'm not too worried about it. At least I got my sight. That'd be the equivalent of a Christian saying, I'm saved and going to heaven, but that's as far as it goes. I'm not concerned about living for him. I'm not concerned about being separate. I'm not concerned about uh, living a life that's pleasing to him and following his word. I'm just going to use Jesus as fire insurance. He's going to keep me out of hell and that's good enough for me. This man could have done that. Been accepted by society. would not got the reproach and all these things that he did. But he says, Jesus has done too much for me for me to deny him now. Right? He didn't lose sight of where he came from, where Jesus found him at. And so that brings us to the last thing. Jesus will never leave us for, nor forsake us. We say how Jesus fortified or how Jesus strengthened him. Okay? How Jesus fortified or how Jesus strengthened him. This man made a decision. I am going to still proclaim the goodness that God has done to me. I'm going to continue following even if it makes all the Pharisees mad, right? And so as the people came to him and says, how did you receive your sight? He replies with great simplicity. He doesn't have a Bible college education. He's never even read the Bible. He's never laid eyes on the Bible. He's only been seen for a little bit. He doesn't have a great grasp on theology, but he says, there was a man named Jesus put clay on my eyes, told me to wash, and I received my sight. That's what he told him. I met Jesus. He fixed my problem. Right? Mm -hmm. That's what he told him. They brought him to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees said, how did this come about? He said, a man named Jesus made clay and went in my eyes, told me to go wash. I did. And I came seeing. Right? I met Jesus. He fixed my... He's giving his testimony over and over again. 
And it's amazing to me as you go through the rest of this chapter, and I know I haven't read it all, but as you go through the rest of this chapter, you see the growth of this man in his faith. God is using the things that he is going through to refine him, to strengthen him, to build him, to grow him. Jesus didn't come to him right away and say, here I am, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Savior, I'm the Son of God. He allowed him to go through these things where this man was forced to think back on what God had done for him. To recount the story of how Jesus had healed him, how he had overcome the blindness that he had because of what Jesus had done in his life. And so he tells it over and over again. And by the time you get down to verse number 27, they're still grilling him. They're saying, how is it that uh, you were able to see? How did he open your eyes? And he says, I've already told you, but I'll tell you again. And they say, this man is a sinner. They're going through all these things and railing against God. And he begins to challenge them. He says, why? Herein is a marvelous thing that you know not from whence he is, and yet he has opened my eyes. He looks at the religious leaders and says, you claim to be representatives of God. You claim to be God's people, but yet you don't even know who this man is that was sent from God. He says, no man could do these things unless he was of God. And so he is talking through his testimony. He's talking through the things that God has done for him. He is developing his beliefs, his theology. He is growing in his faith just from recounting these things. And by the time it's over with, he has a solid grasp and concept of who Jesus is and of what he has done. Okay? And the reason I'm bringing all of this out is that God knows how to grow us. He knows how to refine us. He knows how to shape us. Job said, uh, whenever he was going through all these things, he says that uh, God is going to refine him. He's going to put him through the fire. He's going to uh, bring him, purify him as gold. He says, whenever this trying process is over with, I'll come forth as gold. We don't like going through difficulties. We don't like trouble. We don't like people to not like us or to question us or to challenge us. But as we go through this life and we are forced to rely on God and to seek out God and to remember the things that he has done for us, it strengthens our faith. It draws us closer to him. And in the end, we are grown through adversity much more than we are through victory. Right? That's a truth that we don't like, but this is what God is doing in Job's life. It's what he's doing in this blind man's life. And the process is unpleasant, but it is necessary, and it built him up. And by the time he got done with this, he was challenging even the religious guys. Now, I don't think we appreciate what he is doing here because these are the very ones that are going to crucify Jesus. These are the ones that the disciples are afraid of. These are the ones that put John the Baptist to death. And this blind man is standing toe-to-toe -to -toe with them, and he is teaching them theology. He is teaching them scripture after being saved less than a day. Right? The Lord is using this to grow him, to strengthen him, to fortify him, so that he can continue living on for God. So in our lives, there's things that come along. There's problems that persist. There's difficulties we go through. There is times that we have to make difficult decisions, and God works all these things together for our good. But we have to start off by determining, I'm going to follow him. Just like this man says, I don't know a whole lot of things, but I know I was blind and he restored my sight. I don't know a lot of things, but I was a sinner headed for hell and he saved my soul. I was headed to an eternity of horror and punishment and now I'm going to spend eternity with him. I was a child of the devil. Now I'm a child of God. That's what I know. And so because of these things, I can't cower to men. I can't cower to the fears of what people are going to think of me. I can't cower to all these other things and deny my Lord because he's done too much for me. And so that is the encouragement that I want to offer up today. And at the end of all of this, Jesus comes and confronts him. 
and says, do you believe on the Son of God? And he says, I will if you show me. And Jesus says, here I am. And he bowed down, he fell on his face, and he worshiped Jesus. Here's the thing, whenever we get through all of this, after the troubles, after the trials, we stand uh, on our belief, on our faith, on the work that Christ has done in our lives. He strengthens us, he brings us through it, and one day we're going to see him face to face. And we're going to look back and we're going to say it was all worth it. Every bit of it. While we're living this life, it seems from our perspective, this is all there is. We put so much emphasis and so much effort into this life when the Bible says it is but a vapor. Right? And it doesn't matter what we go through in this life. We need to remain faithful. We need to remember where he found us, the price he paid to fix us, that he has never left us nor forsook us no matter what other people have done, and one day we will see him face to face. One day, hopefully, we're going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And one day, all of the sufferings of the past will be put behind us. They will all, be, they will all make sense. We'll see what God was doing in our lives. And we will be thankful for all that he has done for us. It will make sense in the end. And we will see our Savior. We will worship him. And as I said, it will all be worth it. So my encouragement for you today is don't reject Christ. Don't stop following him. Don't turn away from him or go soft in your Christian life just because of those who disapprove or those who forsake or those who don't like or the way the culture goes. Stay faithful to Christ because there is no one that loves you like Jesus. There's no one that's paid a price for you like he has. And if you're here today, and you don't, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you can change that. Because he has died for you, he has paid the price, and he is offering salvation to whosoever will. He says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. We thank you so much for this passage, Lord, for the lesson from this blind man's life, Lord, and Lord, as I consider, as I think over it, Lord, I, I, I'm just humbled and brought back to the place where I'm just as wretched and as hopeless as what this blind man was, but you paid such a price for me. You love me so much, and I thank you for that. And Lord, I just pray that you'd help me to overlook and see past all of the, the, those who are disapproving, those who would ridicule or, or harass, and help me to look forward to the things that you are doing and the things that lay in store for us, Lord. And be with each person in here to do the needed work in their lives. If there's one here today that don't know you as their Savior, I pray that even now they would call out to you, that they would confess that they're a sinner, and that they would ask you to save their soul and forgive their sins. We thank you and we do love you. In Jesus' name I pray, and amen.